Hello, welcome to Clogcast. As I can't currently run my alternative comedy night called Clog Comedy, and as we all have to be indoors, I have started a mini podcast series called Clogcast. Clog essentially means comedians laughter log. It aimed to be a welcoming space open to acts to practice the highest levels of comedy. I hope that it acted as a network for acts to join the forces of stand-up, musical, sketch and character comedy, as well as a safe space for performers to explore many topics and styles of comedy craziness. This week we're trying something ever so slightly different and we're just having the interview. No niche to know you to know your niche topic area. Today on Clogcast I have a unique madcap lad. Please welcome John Luke Roberts. Hello. 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 Thank you for the the, the applause. It's uh, I don't get that much now with uh, with lockdown, so yeah. it's nice. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, I think all comedians enjoy an applause. Yes. Yeah, I think. Um, what's the word? It's part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. I feel sometimes like we're addicted to it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, he is most known for his award-winning fringe shows, including most recently "After Me Comes the Flood," but in French, and the infamous ACMS. How are you today? I'm. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, I'm well. Yes. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah. It's uh, what day is it? Thursday. <laughs> Rainy Thursday, and it's been perfectly fine. Yeah. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm feeling a bit gloomy due to the weather and a bit uncreative. But just before the recording, you mentioned to me that you were doing a thousand words a day project. Can you explain yeah. that to the audience? Uh, well, I'm, it's, I'm trying to... Well, yeah, in the morning I will uh, do a thousand words effectively on a novel. But I've just started it a week ago. And um, it's it's just a it's just a bit of discipline, a bit of routine. But I'm enjoying it. And sometimes it's easier than others. Often I'm finding I'm sort of hitting, wading to seven hundred words, and then suddenly have a burst of sort of um, creativity or whatever, or an idea or something to run with, and then we'll go past the a thousand words. But those first seven hundred were um, tough. But then, as I say. It's early days. It's much more disciplined than I normally am hmm. because I suppose in 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 like pre lockdown, I'm writing. I was generally writing routines, bits of script. There was no kind of. I have when you're writing a comedy routine, or certainly where I write them, it's very different from this. It's more about fiddling with the individual joke hmm. and the a couple of lines that will get the laugh or the idea for the stupid costume, whereas. The volume, I suppose, is something I just haven't really done since since university. Maybe. What did you study at uni? Uh, English literature, mm-hmm. like most uh, <laughs> most uh, university trained uh, comedians. Yes. Mm-hmm. I understand that. I think it's either English or, uh, particularly for North Fielding, fine art, because that's what I studied. Ah, yes, fine art and new media. The Creeves too. He was oh. fine. Art. I didn't. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite a few doctors. Oh yeah, yeah, doctors. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, teachers. Yes. Well, anything to get out of teaching, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, what a creative bunch we are. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow, English, so English, English literature. Wow, wow, exciting. You must be very good at. You must be very good at grammar. Um, oh well, no! It, as I say, it was literature, not language. Um, oh. My nephew is like six, and my sister tells me he's got to like answer questions about. Uh, I don't know, front, frontal ad- adverbials or th- these terms for words I've never heard. And, um, you know, as, uh, I'm, I'm, as I say, trained to a, a, a tertiary level in English literature. But there's no, I know, I'm not really interested in that. I, well, I don't know if you find this. I, I will, I generally think, correct, sorry, that was my thing. I generally think um, correcting grammar is uh, not there's not much point in it like a lot of the time as long as you understand the meaning and what's what's the problem with getting grammar wrong but there's things which i am so focused on like if i hear them i have to stop myself from correcting the thing even though i know it's even correcting is maybe the wrong word it's not it's not to anyone's benefit to do it but i find myself because i suppose my mother trained my trained me in particular things really biting my tongue yeah it's understandable i guess if you're writing just for yourself like be it like a novel or sketches if you write down basically even if it's bad grammar basically know what you mean like weird like coded words and like weird stage directions or like things yeah. that don't necessarily relate to life and it's just yeah i know what it means yeah As a general rule the only problem with grammar or spelling or whatever mm. only becomes a problem if it changes the meaning or if it muddies the meaning Otherwise, mm-hmm. yeah, it's fine. Oh, carrying on from our in depth welcoming discussion, uh, something a little less serious now. Uh, what have you had to eat so far today? Uh, I had um, some, uh, what do I have? I had a, a bit of oatmeal for breakfast, then ended up having a sort of cooked breakfast for a late lunch mm-hmm. of sausages and eggs and mushrooms. Sounds good. Quite a lot of coffee. Finally, it's been a few days without coffee. Um, <laughs> I ordered some coffee to be delivered, and finally it turned up. I was getting a bit worried. I didn't realise I was addicted to coffee until um, mm. until yesterday when I didn't have any. Mm. Um, so that's been that's been the highlight of the day. Is probably the coffee. Yeah, it's nice to get a parcel. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Particularly in these times, we were like, oh, outside world. Yes. Yes. Nice. Yeah, uh, the next question, for a bit more frivolity, is taken from Emergency Questions by Richard Herring. Yes. What's the best thing you found down the back of a sofa? You see, this, I, I, I remarkably, I can't remember ever finding anything down the back of a sofa. And maybe that marks me out as being unusual. But I think the the, the best thing has just been the TV remote. But then... Is exactly where you'd expect. That's what you'd expect to find mm. down the back of the sofa. So it's not an exciting thing mm. to find down the back of the sofa. Um, that said, I've not I've not rummaged for a while. It might be that after this, I go and look, and there's something. If there is, I'll send you a message so you know. Nice, please do. Yeah, yeah. Well, what 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 would you like to find if you could down the back of well, the sofa? Well, money. I'd have thought well, that would be the best thing. Surely, simple but effective. You know, mm-hmm. possible too falls out of pockets, goes down sofas. Mm-hmm. Another sofa that might be the most exciting, mm-hmm. like a smaller, or actually more exciting than a smaller sofa would be the same size sofa. Wow. Yeah, but harder to um, harder to 
Yeah, it would, there would be some warping of reality there, I think. So would it be exactly the same sofa, or would it be like an interdimensional sofa? Yeah, I, I think exactly the same would probably be the most thrilling. Hmm. Um, useless, obviously. I mean, and I probably wouldn't have room for it. You know, you don't... I, I have a sofa because that's the amount of sofas I need. Hmm. More sofas would, would get in the way. Um, but it would be exciting when it happened. I'd then have to dispose of it somehow. I might, if it was in better nick than my actual sofa, I might keep the new one and get rid of the old sofa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what I'd do. Would this be the usual way of getting rid of a sofa? Or would there be more salacious methods? Getting rid of a sofa? Yes. Well, salacious, I don't know. You put it on, uh, I'm not sure what, there's a black market trade in <laughs> sofa. I mean, I get, yeah, you could swap it for something illicit, but... Most people don't. Uh, the problem with getting rid of a sofa is they have to pick it up, and nobody wants to pick it up. Oh, yeah. Oh, poor sofa. Well, you know, you know, it was it, it chose this life, so it has to live with it. What would be the least best thing to find down the back of a sofa? Do you think? Actually, it's probably the same thing, isn't it? It's the sofa hmm. because it's very inconvenient, and I've already got one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of weird conundrum of would you want a sofa in yeah. the sofa? Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't want a murderer in the sofa. Yeah. That would be... mm. And I'd feel really stupid for going looking. Like, you go looking for it and then it's there. Go, oh, if only I hadn't looked, mm. uh, I wouldn't have found them. Mm. That's positive. I appreciate that. It's it good to be a positive, Yes. <laughs> These are some more comedy-centric questions, if you're okay with that, John Luke. How long have you been performing for? Uh, probably about uh, f- 15 years, more oh, or less. Oh, wow. Well, it's comedy since <laughs> I was 20, so that's 14 years ago, yeah. Okay. Um, I did the BBC New Comedy Awards when I was 20. I wasn't very good, but I got quite a long way, which sort of... I didn't, but I didn't know what I was doing. It took me an awfully long time to work out what I was doing. Um, and, and yeah, so, so 14 years and I'd say I've, I've had a rough idea of, of what I'm, what I'm doing for about five. Oh, yeah. Okay. I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean by doing com- comedy competitions and stuff like that a bit too early because uh, in reference to, so you think you're funny. I, <laughs> Yeah, I think I did that one a bit too early. Right, and maybe yeah. I was a bit eager to do it when I probably wasn't quite ready yet to take that challenge on. Yeah, I, well, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it because I do, I, w- I did that too early to, I don't know, I, I got a lot out of it. It taught mm-hmm. me an awful lot. Oh, and yeah. I don't think that success in comedy competitions is necessarily the most important thing. Like, you can do it without it. So you do it when you do it. And there, there's a usefulness in doing it when, you know, it feels like it's too early um, because it is a, you, you learn a lot. You learn a lot from that environment. Um, and you can learn the wrong things from that environment, obviously. Mm. But, um, but there's, there's things to, I mean, in, in fact, what I learned from doing that mm. was um, I needed to gig more. And I probably wouldn't have learned that if I hadn't done that competition because I did a lot of between the sort of semi-final and the final I did a lot of open mic spots Mm. and ended up really like 
panicking because this was playing to you know those terrible like five people in the audience gigs when four of them don't really speak English as their first language and you're you, and I'd be do I do those and I bomb and so I changed my material a lot when actually what I didn't factor in was my material wasn't working because of the environment not because of the material so I tailored my material for that environment but then lost what was special about what I was doing to begin with oh dear well, it's a good learning curve that sounds like yeah I learned a lot from it yeah what or who inspired you to get into comedy um yeah well, uh, the normal influence I guess Python um mm. Reason Mortimer was a big fan of um Victoria Wood I sort of I rewatched that all recently and then some, and remembered like how 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 big a part of my comedy upbringing that was. Uh, but had very you know we'd, we'd go in the in the as a kid in the car we'd always listen to Round the Horn mm-hmm. on old on BBC cassettes and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and um, I want to say the Goon Show but I don't think that's actually true. Oh no, we had um, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. We'd listen to that a lot. So all the sort of sort of mixture of things, and then in my teens I discovered Chris Morris and the Day to Day and those more sort of. Uh, what's the word um well the things which as a teenager and probably still now felt sort of dangerous uh and um weird and exciting because of that as as an original co-founder of acms the alternative comedians memorial society for members of public how would you describe it we so the acms um, and I will uh, it's the alternative, uh, alternative Comedy Memorial Society. Not oh, comedian. sorry about that. It doesn't matter. We just call it the ACMS, and um, it's it's effectively a place for comedians to come along and to try things which might not work. So we generally encourage people not to do what they would do in their normal sets, but to take a risk. Um, and the audience wants them to take a risk, and mm. we have this sort of uh, setup that we will shout uh, a failure after every act, and then the audience shouts a noble failure, and that just gets everyone into the idea that this is to uh, that failing is is not a bad thing, and that um, it's something to take pleasure in and to celebrate. And yeah, it's basically a room for the oddballs to do things and for weird stuff. Um, and we're very kind of lucky to have, have cultivated an audience over time which wants that and uh, and, he, and he's very supportive. Mm-hmm. What, what, what was like the weirdest act you saw on the ACMS stage? Uh, it's hard. It's hard to say exactly. Um, I would maybe still say, I think the weirdos of 10 years ago, was it that long? No, the club hasn't been going that long six seven, quite a while we're in the soho theater mm. and they did a um i think adam Larter organized it a bleep test uh so you, <laughs> I, I can't i'm gonna miss people out or in it which i don't mean to do but i think some of them were in uh what are they called those sort of suits which cover morph suits so you can okay. rest but i think john kearns and ben Tarje and various people were doing a bleep test but some of them had their feet stuck in buckets and there was a uh some they were drinking different liquids. One of them was drinking alcohol. One was drinking milk, which was horrible. I think mm-hmm. the one drinking milk was the one in the morph suit, so had to drink it through the sort of fabric. Of it was it was mm-hmm. very exciting and utterly meaningless. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely one of the weirdest things. 
um, to watch. Milk. The milk must have been a bit uh, skanky. It was horrible. It was horrible. I've yeah, I've gone right off using milk in. I did. I, I, yeah, I've used milk on stage before, and it does get <laughs> the smell just lingers. It's not worth the effort. I'm mm. always something that looks like milk, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the weirdest thing, I think. But I met, if anyone if anyone remembers something weirder, I'd be very happy to know. Oh yeah, yeah. Please, everyone, if 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 there are fans of ACMS in the audience, then please like say or or please uh, message me with your favourite memories or message John with your favourite memories of ACMS. Yes. That's good. What's that called? That's um, you've done uh, interaction there. They, they on Twitter they like they say oh it's good good good. Um, I forget the words. It's like interaction, but you've done it very well. Oh, thank you. And I, I don't think I'm the best at it. <laughs> it's a Most people wouldn't even have mentioned it. So, yes, good. Oh, thank you. Carrying on from the magic that is alternative comedy, how do you see alternative comedy fitting into the general like stand-up and performance mould? It's really hard to define what alternative comedy mm-hmm. is. Like, I think it's more a useful phrase so, so an audience... To get an audience in the right sense of uh, sensibility, almost. I mean, it, it's morphed from, you know, in the eighties, the alternative comedians were the kind of um, not backlash, but reaction to all the um, working men's clubs uh, stuff on on television. A lot of the jokes work in the same way. Obviously, it was quite politicised in the eighties. I think alternative comedy is just stuff which is slightly different from the mainstream at the moment but you know at some points the mainstream has been gags then the mainstream has been what well, the alternative comedians came in they were very anecdotal and then that sort of anecdotal observational stuff became the mainstream and then you find a lot of gags on the alternative circuit so really i think it's just letting an audience know it's okay if it's not but it, it tells them what not to expect effectively or to be open. I think, it, yeah, that's it. It makes an audience come with a more open mind. Mm-hmm. And does mean you're celebrated more for pushing boundaries rather than sort of, uh, I don't know, su- su- suspected mm-hmm. of doing something weird if you push boundaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely, I definitely under, uh, understand that and appreciate that feeling. I also feel sometimes as myself, as, a, as a, an alternative or weirder performer, that sometimes I find it a bit harder maybe to get promoters to trust me or people to offer gigs out compared to more general standard. What, yeah, what, do you, what do you think about that? Well, I'm sure you're right. Like I, I, and that's, but that's why you end up, I mean, you know, you've set up your comedy night. You, you, I think one of the reasons for setting ACMS up was so we would have a space to mm-hmm. perform and so we could make, and that's really the answer to that problem is if they don't trust you, well, set your own night or circuit up even and make it a success. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you kind of have to prove yourself a little bit more. The weird thing is, of course, about alternative comedy is, especially if it's doing, if it's anything which is um, sort of dissecting comedy or, uh, has a meta level of understanding of it. Like if you're doing something, if you're doing alternative comedy, which needs the audience to know what comedy is meant to be, so they get the jokes that you're subverting, then it's actually often easier to do it in a mainstream comedy night. Like if all you've got to compare, all the audience have to compare you to is other 
strange acts, then somehow it's not, you know, you're not kicking against something. Whereas if they've seen, oh, this is what comedy is, it's it's a person standing on stage telling, uh, making observations about the world, and then you come on and you're a dinosaur making <laughs> observations about, you know, the dinosaur world or something like that, they get it in context of what it's not. So... Yeah, it's weird, but of course you don't get booked for those gigs. And if you get you, if you if dying at a mainstream gig, oh, it's uh, it's painful because hmm. you really feel hated. I think <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. And you've got all these people oh, sitting there, and they're going, "What you're doing this wrong? Why are you doing this wrong? How dare you? Don't you know what this is meant to be like?" Whereas, yeah, in, in an alternative light, at least you can be trusted that you've done it on purpose. I think that's a large part of it. I don't know if you feel that, but so often it's getting people to trust Mm -hmm. that I'm doing it on purpose uh, rather than think that I've just got it wrong. I, 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 yeah, I, I see what you mean there. Definitely. Uh, It's a hard, it's a hard uh, boundary to push. And I, I also enjoy doing those like kind of meta in a comedy jokes that are subtle, like kind of like subtle little cheeky shifts in there, which are quite fun to do, but, you, there's yeah. a lot of trust you have to add to the audience, and it's just really hard to like show them like, oh, just just follow the yeah. Follow what's you're, right, you, you're right to say trust. I think mm-hmm. because there's there's that there's this weird tension though because you sort of want you know you watch people like you, you sort of want them not quite to trust you, but they need to trust you enough. Like it's exciting watching someone like. Um, I, I, Ed Axel jumps to mind oh, where yeah. you watch him and as an audience, you don't know that you can trust him, but also you're willing to go along with it. You sort of, you don't know whether he knows, I'm talking as an audience member, you don't know if he knows why he's funny or not. And that's kind of this perfect thing in the middle where you're not sure that he isn't doing it on purpose, but you're not entirely sure that he is. And that doubt leaves you in a place which I think is quite exciting to be in. Whereas if you knew that he was doing it on purpose, it wouldn't be funny. And if you knew that he was being funny without having any idea how he was doing it and without meaning to, you wouldn't laugh because it would feel mean. So it's sort of this middle, this that tension, I think, is very important. Yeah. Definitely. You can definitely sense that, like, he's got that interesting vibe when he plays the room that's just very interesting to see. And, like, as you mentioned, that tension edge where, like, you're like, oh, he's, he's, he's like, he's teasing the audience. It's, it's definitely really, really clever to see in action. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And further, further, furthermore, I, I saw your show, I think, at Comedia for After Me Comes the Flood. Yeah. And it seems to be an interesting concept of how the punchlines are displayed and how the audience were included. What, uh, yeah. was, the, what was the development process in that like show? So in, yeah, in that show, I um, my fur. Well, the idea was hmm. basically to reveal the punchlines that were going to come in the show about you know at the top of the show, so that everything, every joke I would do during the show. Um, the audience would be able to see the punchline ahead of time. Hmm. Uh, that was uh, now. I had that idea, and I thought, "Oh, that's a." I love that idea. That's really. I guess I just thought it was fun. Then, as I developed the show, I sort of put that to the side. I forgot about it, 
came up with all these routines for the show and it was I'd often done very prop based show and shows and and with this one I wanted to just see if I could do it without costumes without props and just kind of create all these characters just using me and then as we got towards the I'm talking me and my director Sam Bailey we collaborated on the last sort of three shows or something as we four as we got there um it felt just like it was it was maybe lacking something and there was this thread running through it about surprise and being surprised and wanting to know what was happening next or not and then it came back in the problem with it was um i couldn't get it made until the show was written and of course the show isn't finished really until the week before edinburgh mm. so you you don't know what this thing is you can't really test it out so it was a bit of a leap of faith uh, I think the first time was the first. I think the first time I actually had the had the thing was probably in Edinburgh, and had just sort of banked on it working. So I sort of pulled this string at the back of the stage, uh, and had quite a, had a, the stage had a, a was had a very high ceiling. So in Edinburgh, I was able to get this massive banner to fall down, mm. and that was a big sort of exciting reveal moment. Mm. Um, and it worked. And then, of course, the show changed. Just to, it had to try and, you know, you've got this new thing to play with and, and it, it, it morphed into a new, yeah, you just do it and it, it came out. But um, I think it's fine. I mean, it sort of, it seems, I think, more, I, I like the idea of, oh, he tells us all the punchlines before he does the jokes, but then the jokes still work. And that sort of, that sounds exciting. But the thing is, Actually, what I think it really reveals is it doesn't make that much difference, or rather, you're, you're still, the end of the joke. You're being surprised. That's how a joke works. It's a sudden side of everything crystallizes, comes together, uh, and you see it in a new way. And in a way, you've just swapped the feed line and the punch line around, but you're getting all the information at the same time. So it, it generally it worked. And then there was this. I guess the extra game it did put on top was they're really weird punchlines. So there's the fun of going, oh god, he actually got that punchline in the show. He actually made that sentence make sense in context. Um, like I mean, some ridiculous ones. Like uh, uh, I should have known all those camping weekends with Lee on the sexy potato. That's probably my favourite because you don't. They don't see it coming either. I give them all the information. Mm to know that that's the punchline that's about to come, but they don't, and that's fun. That's mm. rewarding, yeah. Leon, Leon's a good, a, good, a good one, isn't he, Leon? Yeah. yeah. He's a good potato. Name. He is a good I don't know why Leon is a funny name. Mm. I, th- I guess because it sounds fancy mm. somehow. But sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which name? After Leon? Leon. Oh, it's, Leon. Fancy. It's, it's short. Oh, he's short, short. Excellent. I thought you said Sean. Sorry about that. Oh, no, sorry, no. Sean is a different name. Uh, but I, 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 when seeing the show, I really liked how this like playing around with the punchlines and setups really kind of included the audience. The audience were like hundred percent like kind of like, oh, I want to work it out. I'm excited. Uh, yeah. really interesting to watch around with the audience. Yeah, thanks. I think it's always. I mean, that's the pleasure of live comedy, and I guess we're really feeling that at the moment when we <laughs> don't have. Is that you're all in a room together, and it's all about making something actually happen in that room that you're all in. And that, that was a, yeah, that was a fun way to, that was a fun way to do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, going, 
Similarly, with other audiences, do you have any odd slash troublesome audience anecdotes? How have you had dealt with hecklers? I don't really get them anymore, but I think I've spent a lot of time um, letting people know what to expect ahead of time. Like I have really weird titles, I have really weird photos, and it sort of means that if you come along to my show, you, you're prepared for what you're getting. Like if you, if you, if you, you know, if you've been yeah good publicity i think is as much about putting wrong people off as the getting the right people in and by wrong people i just mean people who don't get it uh or don't have a different sense of humor um so um yeah i had i mean early on i i'd get i still you know have horrible deaths occasionally but okay. the worst the worst i'd not even there was a group of like it's the first time i was doing an Edinburgh show 10 years ago and I um it was 8 p.m in 8 10 past 8 in the Pleasant Dome and I think it was exactly the worst time every Friday night people would have just enough time to leave work get just so drunk and then and then 8 10 was the time they'd had enough time to get very drunk but not enough time to fall into the sleepy part of being drunk. Oh, no. So there'd always be angry men in on a Friday night. And there was one night in particular when I ended up having to get them to leave. I think security ended up taking them out. Um, <laughs> or was it secu- security? Maybe another but at any rate, I then, I remember, um, t- I wore glasses on stage at that point. And then I remember taking my glasses off in case I bumped into them while walking around Edinburgh afterwards, because I thought that they wouldn't recognise me, and that would be a reasonable defence. Hmm. So that's the most, that's the worst, or the, they didn't, of course. The story doesn't have a punchline. That's the that's the, the pity about it. Oh, it doesn't have to. That was some comedy gold, some comedy truths. Thank you. <laughs> it's not fun to bomb, is it? No. I don't know. You can teach yourself to find pleasure in it, mm. but it's um, and you see people who've done that. Mm. But I'm not sure it's because at least then you get to die in your own terms. No, mm. no, it's it's like a yeah. It's it can be horrible. I understand that though. I mm. I like when uh, a few years back when I was a little bit newer and a little less experienced. I would still get really, really upset over bombing. And I feel yeah. that like, like when I started doing more new material nights, I seemed to get feel a little bit better about bombing because it didn't feel quite as bad. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I mean, it is just part of the job, isn't it? Mm. Um, and I guess all you can aim for is for it to happen less over time. Uh-huh. It doesn't happen every now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And you learn a lot from it, obviously, because there's times times you can um look at it and know that it was your fault mm-hmm. and yeah. there's times when you look at it and go actually no that was, that was a different thing here i did what i i did my best in the circumstances mm-hmm. and it's good and you only learn the difference between those things by doing it yeah i, yeah, I know yeah, yeah i'm not i'm not very good at all that kind of heckling i, I still know better at that. really be part of it i mean i don't think it is part of it that you know that I, I it's it's an odd i find people who expect who think you know audience members who go to comedy expecting heckling to be part i find it very odd i don't really know um and i don't think it's generally true i think it's generally the exception 
to the rule rather than, you know, most people don't go to heckle. And no. most times people heckle, it makes it worse. You know, yeah. people think it's helpful, but it's not really. Oh, no, 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 no. Shush, shush. <laughs> do you have any? Do you have any techniques for dealing with it? Um, I say it depends. If, if if the audience member, I mean, in the past, I once did. If there was like a very rather rather drunk lady, and she wouldn't shut up, and so I just like squawked at her whenever she tried to talk or be like drunk lady kind of like oh I just like scream at her like a dinosaur until she got the message but I don't I don't it's just tricky to do sometimes when you're taken by surprise by a certain outburst of like oh you're rubbish or oh blah 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 yeah. so that's tricky yeah. yeah carrying on from that a trail of thought do you have any tips for future comedians listening uh, it's the best I think stick to your guns stick to your guns but listen to your audience I think those are the two things <laughs> um, you you only find out how to do it by listening to the reaction your things are getting remember there's someone else in the room with you listen for where the laugh comes and when you're writing material think about where the laugh will come um, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's I think that's more or less everything you need to to begin um, but don't let an audience uh, put you um, off your what if you find it funny there will be a way of making an audience find it funny you just may need to try a different route cheers that's really helpful and, and insightful tips thank you for that really that's appreciate it now final final question for today do you have anything to sell, such as social media handles or future projects? Ah, um, well, I'm on Twitter, J. Luke Roberts, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's on Instagram as well. I have some merch for sale on my website, which is johnlukeroberts.co.uk, and some of that is um, my t- two, uh, two stand-up shows, well, not really stand-up, two mm-hmm. comedy shows, um, that mm-hmm. are for sale on Go Faster Stripe. Um, mm-hmm. So I would, I would encourage listeners to go there, mm-hmm. I think. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much, John Luke Roberts. Thank you for being my guest for the fourth episode of Clogcast. Thank you. Woo!